Good morning, Harvest. My name is Ken and Vaughn, and uh, it's such a privilege to be with you each and every Sunday morning and uh, serve as the lead pastor here at Harvest. Uh, this morning, we're going to kind of do a little continuation deal. We've, uh, we don't usually do this, but this is part two <laughs> of a sermon. So if you weren't here last week, you're going, oh, great. So I will do my best to uh, kind of catch you up in way of uh, recap and give a good firm runway. What I was hoping that today would be was kind of the application of uh, the truth of last week's message, partially because I couldn't get to the application last week, if I'm being honest with you, partially because I knew I wouldn't when I went into it, and, uh, and I didn't want to break up last week's message because it was, even though it was long, it was one message that Peter was giving us that I wanted us to see in context and that we can build from. So today is uniquely a part two, but before we get there, as maybe y'all are working your way towards Second Peter, and um, if you're uh, not familiar with where that is in your Bible, just go to the very back, and you'll probably see um, maybe a glossary of some kind. Keep working back from there. You'll get a, uh, the book of Revelation. Work back from there. You'll see very quickly the epistles of John, unless you skip you know, three or four pages. You'll miss those all together, and then you'll be at Peter. And so Second Peter, very near the end uh, of our Bibles, this is uh, the second epistle that Peter writes to the early church. That's where we'll be in just a moment. First, I thought this was fun. There's a young man that unsolicited wrote a letter uh, that I got this week. This was a fun letter. He said, Ken and I moved to Memphis a year ago, and I knew great churches were in the area, but I didn't know how to pick one. And so here are some observations that influenced my decision and why I love Harvest. Uh, number one, people with gray hair are here. Isn't that right? Amen? Uh, and listen, remember, this is, I don't know exactly how old this guy, I think this guy is about 25 years old. I thought that was really cool, that there's a 25-year-old man saying, uh, I love this place because there's gray-haired folks here. Uh, that's, that's meaningful from, in a lot of ways. And here's what he says, I'm used to seeing when an aged pastor retires and a new pastor that's younger comes in and the older people will complain about the young pastor who's foolish and inexperienced. And um, <laughs> yet my first time at Harvest, I met people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. And uh, I never observed anything like this, and, uh, and, and so that really blessed him. And you're going to see even more why in a moment. So um, y'all making fun of me? Okay, okay, good. Number two, uh, number two, people with all of their hair are here. Okay? So uh, uh, this was good. When I moved to Memphis, the people I knew in this city could be counted on one hand. I wanted to meet other Christians, so I, I, uh, I came to Harvest. I attended Steve Winstead's Old Testament survey class. The people in their 20s that attend this class are not just your Sunday relationship kind of folks. They make a point to spend time together during the week. They have great community. I value this group so much and have even found my roommates through this class. Love it. And then thirdly, and this is where I'll, I see these, um, these, these things begin to meld together, discipleship is a theme and not an anomaly. Harvest has a rich culture of older men and women who are investing their time in younger men and women. I'm sure that happens at other churches, but at Harvest, it's not the exception. It's the norm. Just this week, Pepperhorn started a group, which has been an answer to prayer for me. Isn't that good? Uh, that is the heartbeat of our church, that we will be a church where there is this. The, in fact, one thing that we think is such a blessing is the um, generational diversity that God's given us, even as a young church plant. And I think that God's two steps ahead of us. Our desire is to be a disciple-making church. We don't want a bunch of 20-somethings sitting around trying to figure out how to disciple one another. We want to find older, wiser men and women who have been walking with the Lord that we can cling to and learn from and be discipled by. And so what a blessing that God has uh, brought such diversity to our body. 
And then one more I thought was cool. Um, he said, professions of faith are being made by adults. I noticed a trend watching the baptism videos on Harvest website. I was amazed at the authenticity of stories, seeing friends of members become Christians, followed by being baptized. And the only explanation I had was that this is evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in the ministry of Harvest Church. Praise God. Um, that was a, uh, yeah, praise the Lord. And I'll just second that um, I, love, I love that our church is, is not a building that we come and worship in. We don't point to a place. We to- point to a people. And it is, it is truly a church family. And so I hope that if you're a member here, that's the way you feel, so the way I feel. And I'm grateful for every one of you guys. So uh, let me pray, and uh, we'll dive in. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for a time that we can be together as a family um, underneath your word. I pray that your spirit would move in this place that you would do exactly what this text teaches that you will do, that you would stir afresh in our hearts by way of reminding us of the gospel, a new affection for you this morning. So God, I pray in this time that I must decrease and that you must increase, and I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to do a, uh, a, a brief but faithful recap of where we were last week. Again, two purposes, give us a running start, kind of give us a reminder. I don't have any idea what I said last week, so I'm sure you guys don't either. Uh, but also, I want to uh, help those who weren't here at all uh, not just miss the boat. So if you're looking at Second Peter um, chapter 1, kind of where we landed the plane last week was starting in verse 5, moving forward. And, uh, and listen to what Peter writes as an exhortation, even a command. He writes, for this very reason. Now, I know that is dependent upon something. We'll, we'll go back in a moment. For this very reason, make every effort. So Peter is kind of giving us, well, not kind of. He's giving us a command to do something. And what we need to do is supplement our faith. So he's talked about faith, but now he says supplement it with virtue. Virtue, remember last week, it's moral excellency. Like you be above reproach in these moral areas of your life. And supplement virtue with knowledge. That's the word gnosis. just means an understanding. So read your Bible. Uh, probe the depths of the truth that God has given us in his word. And uh, couple knowledge or supplement knowledge with self-control. Chasten your flesh. Don't give way to sin in the sinful desires of your flesh. And self-control with steadfastness. Go a long way in the same direction faithfully. Persevere. And steadfastness with godliness. Godliness there means a good worshiper. Do these things out of delight and not merely out of religious duty. And godliness with brotherly affection. That's phileo. You love people that love you in return. And brotherly affection with love. That's agape. That's loving people who do not love you in return. That's sacrificial love. That's loving because we've first been loved. Now, listen, we walked through those last week in a little bit more depth, and we talked about those. But what was of first importance in Peter's list was not the list. Y'all hear me? Of first importance was not making sure we tally these seven categories and see how we're doing and line up our lives against the standard. That's important, but not first importance. First importance with this list was we understand that this is not a list given to us that we might know how to obtain salvation. We don't measure our um, right standing before God by how we're doing on the list of seven that Peter gives us right here. Understand, this is not how we earn salvation by doing these things and doing them over and over and doing them well. This is how we respond to salvation. And that makes all the difference in the world. These things are how we respond to what has been earned on our behalf. So let me say it this way. Uh, Matter of fact, let's let Peter say it this way. Uh, If you look back at verse 3 and 4, remember verse 5 started with, for this reason, make every effort. Well, for what reason? The reasons found in verse 3 and 4. 
Because his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and, and, and uh, godliness. His divine power has done it. And look, he did it through the knowledge. Now the word there is epignosis, which means relational knowledge. He has granted us all things by his power through a relationship with him in Christ. Through a relationship. It's not just theology. It's not just intellectual knowledge. It's not class and church attendance. It's a relationship with Christ by which he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And by which he grants us precious and very great promises so that we not only escape, I love that word escape, the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, but also that we become partakers of the divine nature. Here's what that means, Harvest. If you have a relationship with Christ, there's several things going on. Number one, you get what he accomplished on the cross. He died in our place for our sin. We get the forgiveness of sin. We escape the corruption of our flesh in this sinful world. But it doesn't stop. We also get what he accomplished when he rose from the dead, which was newness of life. So you become partakers of the divine nature. Your life's going to change because you are fundamentally changed. This is why the Bible says born again. This is why it says new creation to describe a Christian. It's not someone just has a head knowledge uh, that Christ died and, and, and it even has gone ahead and prayed a prayer to receive the, what Christ accomplished his death. Give me forgiveness and now I have a license to go on my way sinning. Not the gospel. The gospel is that you get Christ and in him you get forgiveness of sin accomplished in his death and newness of life accomplished in his resurrection. You will be changed. And so Peter's teaching very explicitly, and if you don't believe it there, if you turn back a page in chapter 1, I mentioned verses, or I'm sorry, 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9, we, we glanced at those last week, and just to give you a couple phrases, he said, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Look again, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's his point. Peter is trying very hard to make sure you and I don't come away from his epistles thinking that we earn our salvation. Do you hear how hard he's working at this? He's being explicit with his language. So that we don't come away thinking when he gave us 2 Peter 1, 5-7, we don't come away thinking we earn our salvation by virtue, by adding virtue to our faith. It's by how much moral excellency we can display that we will earn. Peter's saying, don't go there. It's not by how godly you are, even when it's delight, duty, and, and how good of a worshiper. It's not by how steadfast, not even by how well you love each other. Peter's saying, you can't earn it. By divine power, he granted it to you. According to his great mercy, he caused you to be born again. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. We don't earn it. Christ earned it. When he bore our sins on his back on the cross and endured the cross, scorning its shame for the joy set before him. You know what the joy set before him was and is? It's us. Our redemption was the joy set before Christ that moved him to endure the cross. He earned it. We receive it by faith. He earned it. We receive it by faith. That's so why Paul writes to the Corinthians, he who had no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God, the spotless lamb of God, hung on the cross in our place and for our sins. So Peter would write it this way, he says, he himself who bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we could 
die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you are healed. By what? Not by your virtue. Not by your godliness. Not by your steadfastness. Not by your brotherly love and not by your agape love. By his wounds you are healed. Amen. So Paul would write to the Galatians. Um, if righteousness could have been gained through the law, like if we could adhere it by climbing the ladder of moralistic, legalistic righteousness, if it could be gained through the law, here's what Paul says, Christ died for nothing. Did y'all hear that? It's Galatians 2, 20, 21. If it could be obtained by the law, if we could earn our right standing before God, if it were possible, there would be no reason for the cross, which was set before the foundation of the world by the love of God. goes on to write to Romans, Paul does, and he says, the reason the gospel is not just good news, the reason it defines good news, the reason it's the best news you could ever imagine was because the gospel says that righteousness can be gained apart from the law. And here's how. It's given by faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Righteousness apart from the law in Christ by faith to all who believe. That's the gospel. And the gospel is so scandalous in its appropriation of grace that some people will be led to believe that's like just cheap grace. Just Jesus did it all. I don't have to do anything. That's just this, that's, uh, uh, that will be abhorrent to someone who doesn't understand. They'll say, that's just, that's just cheap grace. Or else it'll be, um, uh, sure, yeah, give me some of that. What do I do? Give me that prayer I pray. Let me go ahead. I would like to receive that so that I can go on about my business with no fear of retribution of judgment. Let me just tell you this. Salvation is not cheap grace. It cost the Father his only begotten Son. It cost the Son his life. Nothing cheap about the grace of God ushered into our lives salvifically by grace through faith. Nothing cheap. And to view God's grace as your license to sin is to completely misunderstand the gospel. The gospel is for those who are broken in your sin, who are brought to knees by the thought of your own wretchedness, who literally tremble with fear when you see your wretchedness in light of God's holiness like Isaiah. Who have, done, who have done enough to know that you can't do enough, and who are exhausted, who are weary, who are stuck and enslaved to the chains and bondage of sin, and say, enough! And I hear the words of Jesus that say, for those who are heavy laden and weary, and their ears perk up, they come unto me, I will give you rest. And they're not thinking in their mind about how to pull a fast one on God and get his grace to continue. They are desperate. They are spiritually bankrupt. And they bring themselves to the cross and lay their burden. And they find in Christ a refuge for their souls. That's the gospel. That's the testimony of a Christian. Grace is not licensed to sin. It's good news for a sinner. And it's so good that he elicits in us a response. 
you come to the cross and lay your burden down and are washed. And by the way, if you remember for a moment the moment of your salvation, if indeed you've been saved, it wasn't a game you played. It wasn't a manipulation of the sovereignty of God and the distribution of his grace that you somehow pulled a fast one on him. And if it is, you have no assurance of your salvation even as you sit in your chair today. But if you were truly saved, then you have an experience where you came recognizing not only your sin but his holiness, believing the gospel because there had been illumination because the scales had fallen from your eyes and the concrete had been jackhammered up around your heart and it had made soft and you brought yourself to the saving grace of the cross because God drew you to himself and when you finally laid your burden down, you know what it was to be cleansed by your sin, by his blood. You literally, you got washed, you got cleansed, and when you got up and walked on about your way, it was no longer about your way. Something had changed, and that something was everything. There's a, it's like a, a babe who's born into this world that craves milk. Something's changed. Everything was fine when they were inside the belly and however the mechanics of all that worked, but now they're out and they crave and they scream and they gotta have. You get born again and you crave and you scream and you gotta have. I desperately hunger for more of the truth of God's word, for more of the grace and mercy appropriate in my life that's brought me to him that will carry me with him. Changed! I used to be appalled by the idea of church on a Sunday morning. Now I can't wait. I used to have no idea how to read the Bible, nor did I care to. You got anything else I could read? Now, crave it. Can't wait to get in the word. It's alive, it's life. New affections, new desires, it's because I've been made a new creation. And so if you, if you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ, it elicits a response. And in that response, in your desire for more, in your desire to press into the goodness of Christ, and your desire to abide in him, Peter says, for this reason, because you are overwhelmed, captivated with the gospel, in marvel at its all and beauty, and desiring to respond, here's what you do. Supplement your faith. Don't, don't think that this replaces your faith. You're saved by your faith. Supplement it. You want to respond? Be excellent. Get in your word. Chase it in your flesh. Live a, live a life after God that comes from your heart. Just delight in him. Don't work for him. Work from his approval. Be a good worshiper in that. Love others. Persevere. Not to obtain salvation. It's a response. Amen? Um, and so verse 13, I never got there last week, but verse 13 said this. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. I love it. I love that Peter sees his ministry to stir us up by way of reminder. Reminder of what, Harvest? Is it a reminder of the list? Like, I'm, I'm, I want to stir you up to remember, you know, where are you? Break out your list. How you doing this week? No, 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 no. He wants to stir you up by reminding you of the gospel. The list is just how you respond to it in your desire to know what direction to run. And he says, here's your direction, but I'm reminding you of the gospel, which is the engine, which is the fuel, which is the lifeblood. And this was Peter's ministry. I'm going to remind you continually of the gospel. By the way, that's why I love preaching the gospel. Man, I love it. Uh, 
I get to sit in these texts Monday through Saturday. And I want to tell you, I'm, I'm, I can't sleep well on Saturday night. I preach the gospel half awake in here on Sunday morning because I, I just toss and turn Saturday night. I always wake up three or four times in the middle of the night. It's only 2 o'clock. Gosh, seven more hours. 4 o'clock. All right. I just can't wait. Like literally you sit in it until it gets in you and I feel like it is like a fire that is shut up in my bones. And Sunday morning I can't wait to let it out. And it's to stir you up by way of reminder of the gospel. Like my prayers that this pulpit, with the gospel goes forth, that there would, no, there would be no human effort here to try. In fact, we pray, we pray, we get together and we pray right back in that room before every service. And nobody prays the prayer, um, God, please let Kenan be really good today. Uh, please let Kenan just, just have just the right words that would change people's lives. And if they did, we'd beat them down or something. <laughs> nobody prays that. Everybody is expectant of what God's going to do by his divine power according to his good pleasure and through his abundant mercy. And we're saying, God, do what you do. Unleash your spirit to, to bury the word deep in our hearts. And I just, man, I, just, I just get to preach the gospel. The gospel changes lives. There's a story about a really famous pastor, and he was, this is probably a century ago, was, um, in a day the, the ladies would, would, would spin their own, make their own wool, and they would do it by the use of a, uh, they, they'd clean it by the use of a sieve, and, and this gal was just doing her thing, cleaning uh, the wool there that she had, had made, and I don't know how all that works, but she was doing it, and this, this great pastor, renowned pastor, gets in a conversation just a few paces from her, and she notices who it was, and so she interrupts, and she says, uh, Pastor, I just wanted to tell you, uh, thank you. Um, because one of your sermons some time ago set me ablaze for the things of God. And I'll have all eternity to thank God for what you said or for what he said through you in that sermon. He says, that's, a, that's, a, that's an incredible thing to say. Tell me, what did I say in that sermon? And the gal said, Pastor, I have no idea. I don't know what you said. It's like this sieve. The water goes right through. The sieve doesn't retain it, but it washes this wool pure as snow on its way through. And she said, sermon after sermon after sermon, God would wash me with the gospel. All eternity I'll be thankful. That's what happens on Sunday morning. I don't know what I said last week. I'm going to assume y'all don't either. But I pray that it washed us. It cleansed us. And it stirred us afresh in remembrance of the gospel and in love and affection for Jesus Christ. Amen? I love Peter's ministry. I pray that it will be my ministry and our ministry at Harvest that we would remind one another of the goodness of the gospel. Now, I promised practical application this week, so I better get there. Um, let, me give, let me give you a metaphor uh, for how I want to give you this application. Uh, I read a book when it came out five, six, seven years ago. It was called The Trellis and the Vine and really centered around a, the metaphor of a trellis and a vine. If you don't know what a trellis is, I think at the time I kind of had to look it up as well. But, but it's basically that, that, um, that kind of structure, you know, that, uh, that grid-shaped, you know, fence. I don't know what else to say they're in trellis now. But, you know, fence with the holes in it where the vine grows. 
Everybody kind of with me on that deal? So your trellis, it's the thing the vine grows on. And so the metaphor that this guy used, which was, which was just kind of gripped me and I've never forgotten, and the Lord brought it back to my heart this week as a way to uh, help bring us into the practical application of how then shall we live in response to the gospel? What's specific and unique to us here at Harvest Church in 2016? And I thought of this, this trellis and the vine illustration. And uh, this pastor's in Australia, and he said, you know, I've got this, um, I got this beautiful trellis in my driveway. It's in the front yard. I mean, beautiful. Like, there's no vine on it, and, and you almost don't want to put one. It's just, it's just it's big and beautiful. I don't know who built it, but they were very attention to detail. And it's amazing. And he goes, I, when I bought the house that was there, I often think, was there ever a vine there? Was it not watered? Was it not pruned? Like, or maybe they just maybe it was so nice looking we didn't want to mess it up or whatever it was, but it's just, it's just a nice trellis. He goes, but if I look out my back window, and if you stood here with me and looked out my back window, you would see this just gargantuan, growing jasmine vine that is taking over my back fence. As a matter of fact, it's so, when I hack that thing back, when I cut it back, it just explodes even more aggressively. I gets taken over. So one day I went out there, and I, and I just kind of was working my way through the jet, trying to get to the bay. Like, where does this thing start? And I got all the way in there and saw it's not even growing on a fence. There's this little thin wooden trellis and this just enormous, just abundantly exploding vine. And he said, when I saw what it was on and saw that, I mean, you could almost blow this thing over with your breath. He said, I knew if I don't do something to maintain that trellis, the vine is soon going to collapse. And he said, you know, in the church today, he said, we have a whole lot of really nice-looking trellises where there's just not a lot of vine work going on. Now, by the way, let's just kind of talk, if, 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 if you're wondering what I mean by that vine work being that, that, that transformational work in our lives that the gospel brings. And that, by the way, that we, by no work of our own, that we're called to be a part of. Even while Peter said, hey, the reason you do these things is so you can be useful and effective in, our, in, in, the, in the vine work, in the growing of the gospel. How do I know that everybody gets to be a part of vine work? Well, I'll tell you. Um, Ephesians 4 defines this quite clearly. It said God's given the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Now listen to why he gives the church this leadership. He says, so that they might equip the body to do the work of the ministry. And for metaphorical application, that's the vine work. Like, Everybody that's in the body of Christ and that's a part of the expression of this local body gets to be a part of the vine work here. And when the vine dies is when the people just become consumers and expect the clergy or the leadership to do the vine work. The vine slowly shrivels up and dies. And we might or might not be left. We're either left with an old nappy trellis or a, or a real big beautiful trellis, but it's just a trellis. The point of the trellis is merely to support the vine. The goal of the church is to see the vine exploding. By the way, who does the scripture tell us is the vine? Now, don't get confused. We're going to go there in a minute. Jesus says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. You abide in me, and through you I will produce much fruit. It's that fruit-bearing ministry of the Holy Spirit that's alive in the church that's this growing vine. And every time you prune it, it just keeps growing more and more and more. Now, let me say this. By God's grace, when I think of that illustration, I think of that Australian pastor looking in his front yard, looking in his backyard, uh, by God's grace, and I mean praise to the living God, I believe that we are the backyard. I don't think that we have a really nice trellis with no vine growing on it, okay? Um, I believe we have this abundant, growing, crazy, awesome, messy vine because the Holy Spirit is alive, because he's moving 
And I think the, 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 the application of our text that I want to bring forth is in response to the gospel, what do we do? I want to give, I, I want to say this. I think we need to tend to the vine. And I also think we need to tend to the trellis. I don't want us to become a mile wide in an inch deep until finally we just topple over. We need to develop our leadership and our support and our systems. And we need everybody to engage. Tend the vine, tend the trellis. See a healthy expression of vine growth continuing to multiply. Are y'all with me so far? If I see the trellis and the vine. Okay, so here's where I want to go. Just practical application. I'm going to give you one of each. Vine growth. The point is the growth of the vine. Everybody gets to play. Ephesians 4 is clear. Jesus is clear in John 15. That passage I referred to, he said, whoever is my disciple will obey my commands. Well, one of his big commands was the last one he gave the, the disciples at the Great Commission that said, go and make disciples of all the nations. We all are called to play a great work in making disciples in the commission of Christ. That's not a commission just for the leaders. That's for every follower of Christ. Now, I recognize many of you gay go, I have no clue how to make disciples. For one thing, I'd tell you, I'd encourage you to come to the summit. We had a missions moment on that. It's 24 hours. We talk about what does that mean and how do we do it. Please come. But as a church, we have a responsibility not just to tell you how to make disciples. It's not just a how-to class. We have a responsibility to actually disciple you so that you know how to make disciples. You know, when Jesus said the Great Commission, Matthew 28, when he told them that, go and make disciples, not one of those guys raised a hand and said, do what? Unless Matthew just ran out of ink and didn't record this, there was no Q&A at the end of the Great Commission. Those guys understood exactly what he meant because for three years, what had he done? Discipled them. And they knew he's calling us to do to others what he has done to us. That's what we want the testimony. That needs to be the testimony of every Christian. Somebody raising you up in Christ. As the note from the young man said, I can find that here. There are godly men that are intentionally pouring in. Pepper started a group this week. I'm in it. It's a blessing. It's an answer to prayer. That's the vine work of the church. 1 Corinthians 12 says everybody has gifts. Everybody has passions. Bring them in for the edification of the body. Don't be an outsider. Don't be a passive consumer. You with me? It's the vine. We want the vine to grow. Everybody has a part. So let me tell you, a year and a half, the elders asked me, um, they, they said, could you produce something that could maybe be a unifying resource for our body that helps us bridge this conversation of people looking for folks to disciple them, other people looking for somebody to disciple, nobody, a lot of people not knowing exactly what that looks like, and there's an awkwardness. Can you, help us, can you produce a resource that would give us a language and give us content? And here was the goal. Help us go from, uh, not make any assumptions, a new believer or even a person that's far from God and not a believer. If I were to start intentionally discipling this guy that's a new or a non-believer, what, what does that process need to look like all the way to mature and equipped in the Lord? Not just a disciple, but making disciples. Okay, can you, can you put in a resource that helps us take somebody from here to here? And so, um, again, it's been a year and a half. I've involved the entire staff in helping me with this. Much prayer, much effort, but I'm excited. We, I want to show you something right now that I think is as practical as we can make this. I'm not going to show you a perfect resource because I don't think there is one other than just the Word of God and the Spirit of God. This resource is going to point you to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We're going to trust Him. It's going to be a little bit mysterious. Okay, but we're going to call this the Gospel Journey. The Gospel Journey. Hunter's very talented, created a little logo for us with Jess. The Gospel Journey, learning to walk the paths of life. That's Acts 2.28. Here's how it works, very simply. And by the way, um, uh, well, I won't say yet. So here's how it works, very simply. Next screen we have, um, that's a bookmark. Okay, those are available in the back 
today, on your way out, if you want to go on the gospel journey with someone, by the way, did y'all hear that last phrase? With someone, say that with me. With, yeah, the gospel journey is not to go on alone, okay? It's to go on with somebody. It's a disciple-making relationship, okay? And so this is a bookmark, very simple. On one side, it tells you uh, the, the, the first path, and by the way, staff's worked very hard. We've put together nine paths, okay? That the, the, the goal is to bring us straight into the heart of Christ and deeper understanding of the gospel and to be able to live out of that understanding. So path one is knowing the gospel story. Isn't that a great place to start with someone that's a new believer, a non-believer? No, I mean, is that, I mean, you can take somebody at your office in your neighborhood that's far from the Lord. Say, hey, we're, we're going to be asking the question, what is the gospel story? Why is it changing millions of lives and how does it change ours? Will you, would you like, we're we're going to go on this journey together. We discover the gospel. Would you come with me on that? I'd love to invite you to come with me on that. Gospel journey, knowing the gospel story is number one. Um, it's the Gospel of John, as you can see, we've broke it down. Day one, week one, you open your Bible, you got your bookmark, and you read the first 18 verses of John 1. And you read it, and you meditate on what um, is said, what the word is saying, and then there's some questions on the back. And so let's show this next slide. The back basically we're going to do two things. It always reminds us, begin in prayer, ask God for spiritual illumination that you might understand what you're reading and be able to apply it to your life. We want to do two things. Understand the word in its context. We'll see it in context. So we do some things. We observe what stuck out, what questions, what is it saying, uh, the interpretation of the word, uh, what does it mean, what does what it, say, what it says mean, uh, what am I discovering about Jesus or myself or the gospel, and then we want to apply God's word in our context or your context. What does this mean for you? What's your big takeaway? What is God uniquely giving to you? What do you need to give to someone else? Now, very simple. So you're reading your verses. You're spending some time reflecting on these questions. You're taking some notes. You're jotting down what you think or what questions you have or what things you don't understand or what things that God's impressing upon your heart. When we come together, after a a week of doing this, you come together for your time in your D group, and you're discussing those things that the Lord taught you. So let me say this. With trembling and fear as I stand before you. I don't know what God's going to teach you. I've got some ideas. I've read the text. And i got some ideas of what I hope he teaches you. And I'll say something about that in a minute. But listen, we're going to let the Holy Spirit be your guide. Isn't that a cool kind of scary thing? We're going to let the Holy Spirit. Literally, you are going to ask the Lord to teach you through his word. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. We're going to trust him. And as he impresses truth upon you, and even things you don't understand, think you have a, you're, you're walking with someone who's walking more closely with Jesus than you, so they are literally taking you on this gospel journey. They're leading you closer and deeper in your, uh, not just your gnosis, but your epignosis. Not just your breadth of understanding, but your relational depth with Christ. Okay, so understand this. Now, for those who are going to lead a group, or lead a one-on-one relationship. You're going you're gonna to invite somebody onto the gospel journey with you. And I'd encourage, by the way, there's many of you guys that are, let me just say it this way. They've been walking with Christ for some time and, w- and would probably say, I've never really done anything like this. I've served and I've helped and I've even taught a class. But to really take someone on, and, and maybe it's intimidating to you, and that's okay. Now, if there's just unrepentant sin hanging out in your life, you need to confess that. Great chance to confront that sin and, and be reconciled vertically and horizontally where you need to be. But if you're just kind of scared, I get it. I'm always scared because I'm not Jesus. I'm not a perfect disciple maker, but I'm willing to be authentic and transparent and say, I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm pursuing Christ. Will you pursue him with me? Please boldly ask some young man or woman that question. Will you go on the gospel journey with me? 
This may be what helps you to get in the game. And, and listen, we've, we've created something for you, and there's just a little picture of it, which is, it, it, this is called the trail guide. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry, the field guide. <laughs> field guide. After a year and a half, I messed up the title. Um, the field guide. Here's what, here's what this is. By the way, this is only for those who are leading that time. It is not the curriculum you teach. It doesn't change what I just said about we're trusting the Holy Spirit to bring the truth. It's not. What it does is it takes the common themes and theological terms uh, or what we think is most relevant in this text that is probably going to come up in your discussion as the Spirit leads that we want to make sure you're anchored in what that means and be prepared to talk about it and be able to give a biblical perspective on it. So this is, you don't teach from your field guide. You don't bring it in there and say, well, let me just read this to you. No, please don't do that. That's just for you in your own preparation to really be prepared and grounded in what things might come up so that you can help uh, that conversation in, in a, from a biblical standpoint. So field guides for those who are going to lead them. We are going to have a meeting this Wednesday at noon. Anybody that says, hey, I'd love to lead a gospel journey group, I'd love to take some guys or gals on the gospel journey, come and I'm going to share with you exactly what it looks like in my life. Some of the elders will share, we'll answer questions, and we'll give out the field guides there. If you can't make that meeting but you want to lead one, uh, make sure you get one at Connection Central. But every, if you want to go on the gospel journey, get your bookmark. You're going to lead one, get your field guide as well. Here's my hope, unashamedly. You're out there going, I've never been discipled, I've never made disciples. In most churches, it's the vast majority. In our church, I still think it's, it's significant. I hope this gives us a language where you could literally look to your right or left, even now, or in, if you're in a Sunday school class with folks, or if you're in a discipleship community, which I hope everybody that's a part of this church is in, you can find a man who's been walking with Jesus longer than you. Ladies, you can find a gal and you just, she just resonates the spirit of God and there's fruit in her life and you love her spirit and her love. And you can say, hey, is there any way I could go on the gospel journey with you? Can I, can I do path one with you? Can we do that? You men and women who have been walking with the Lord, it gives you a question to ask. You want to go on the gospel journey with me? And we're going to do a path kind of each season. We'll do one in the spring. We'll do path two in the summer. We'll do path three in the fall. And there's breaks in between, and it's not going to be so rigid. You don't have to stick exactly to yada, yada, yada. You can do your thing, but we want to give a common language so that it can be a movement in our church. And I hope this ushers hundreds of us into real disciple-making relationships. We'll kind of launch this in two weeks, okay? And what I mean by launch it is we'll kind of kick off path one because I'll refer to it when I'm teaching. It'll be a part of our language. So I'd really encourage you to pray for someone to go on the gospel journey with. Okay, vine work, practical application. I told you I'd get to the weeds eventually. Let me give one on the other side. I think that we not only need to tend the vine here, we need to tend the trellis. And um, gosh, I'll, I'll say two quick things, two quick things. One, we have over 25 teams that are working even right now so that we can be in here just having this incredibly uh, worship experience being washed in the gospel. We need folks to be a part of those teams. Uh, the teams need reinforcements. The teams that work with children uh, ministry need a lot. Um, and so if you would ask the question, as a part of the supporting structure of this church, the trellis, is there a team I can serve on? Now, if you're asking that question, let me go ahead and demystify the answer for you. Yes! Okay, so then your next question is, what team should I serve on? Okay, so should I serve? You betcha. Where? And that's a great question. We'd love you to email damon at harvestmemphis.org, or you can go straight for the children's at Braxton or Kevin or Tracy at harvestmemphis.org. We need, we need everybody to be serving so that we don't kind of go like this uh, in the midst of the excitement of, of the vine growth, or just grow so wide that we're losing our depth. I want us to grow deep and let the width come with the depth. Okay, uh, one more let me give you. Uh, this is, um, 
This will come as no surprise to many of you. I've talked about it once before. If you've had the guts to go down our children's wing sometime during a Sunday morning, and uh, it takes a little courage, but uh, there's, over t- there's over 200 kids from zero to fifth grade. Isn't that something? Over 200 kids. And, uh, and we have about eight rooms that we, we can use, and we're very thankful for every square inch of those eight rooms. But it's, it's, like, it's awesome, okay? It's awesome. It's like a jungle of awesomeness. And, uh, and, then we've got, uh, and then we've got student ministry, which doesn't technically have any space. They use the fellowship hall and the second hour for their student Bible study. Over 100 kids coming in junior high and high school. By the way, what this, like God's brought this influx of family. The gospel's gro- going crazy. The vine is growing. We're thankful. But we want to make sure we're stewarding that and that we are tending to the trellis as well. Let me say this. Um, there was only so much we could do for the last year. We've just been renting and, and graciously renting from Forest Hill Baptist. And so we've been asking the Lord, hey, what do we do with this? And everything was on the table. God, are you going to move us somewhere else? We love this people, the people at Forest Hill. We love the story here. We love the place. But we want to make sure that we're not hindering the vine growth. And, 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 and we just want to be faithful and open. You lead. We'll follow. Well, where God led us just a month ago was that Forest Hill did something supernaturally, divinely inspired, miraculous. They deeded over this place to us. And so now all of a sudden we're owners. And so the stewardship is now directly in our lap. What do we do to steward the gospel growth, the vine that's going crazy? And we believe it's now a stewardship issue that we face, that we do need more space. Now we're excited about planting churches and we're excited about doing the things that will let the vine continue to grow in other parts of our city and world. But we believe right now, yesterday, we needed more space and it's a stewardship issue. Our elders feel very strongly that we need to basically build a, uh, for lack of better words, a children's wing, a new children's wing. That would, I'm pointing this way because it would go out between the two fields. And, uh, and it would just be a, a, a very functional kind of like this. Uh, we're not going for a, um, a campus-centered anything here, but just a f- more functional space so we can do this. Healthily minister to the families that we have and steward the growth that God has given us. We're passionate about what's happening in the discipleship of those kids' lives. We're passionate about what happens on Sunday morning, and we think it's a stewardship issue that we need to do it. Uh, Now, you guys play a huge part in this. And when I say you guys, our body, our elders don't really do anything, especially of this magnitude, without knowing that we cast that vision clearly and we're we're owning it together. So here's what we're going to do. In two weeks, we'll ask you guys, do you feel and agree with the need to do that? And in two weeks, on February 14th, we'll have a card. We'll ask you to actually give a vote of affirmation or not. But please don't come then planning on voting no without doing one of these two things. Tonight at our members meeting, I'm going to really talk much more in detail. What are the financials of that? What's the structure of that? Again, what are the purposes of that? Um, How does it not detract from everything else we're doing? I want to answer these, trust me, I want to answer them in full. And I think that's the most appropriate times tonight. If you're not a member, if you're a member, we actually expect you to be there. Please be there. If you're not a member... Uh, but you're kind of considering maybe this is where I'm going to be or this feels like home or it's becoming my home, this is one we want you to come to. We don't want you to always not quite be in the loop on this. So please come tonight at 5 o'clock. The other thing is two weeks till we vote. If you have any outstanding questions after tonight, please, please email us. We have uh, 12 elders that would love to get a coffee with you and talk with you about it. We want to share with you what the Lord's put on our heart. Please talk to one of our elders, one of our staff. Let us meet. Let us dialogue. Uh, we don't want you to sit in, in, uh, in, you know, and just be clueless about why our church. You're, you are the church. This is us believing we have this need. Um, let me just say a few things about this, and I'll, and I'll move from it. Um, I want to make sure I alleviate a few things or clear off a few things. In, in, um, in no way are we doing this as a... Um, like a strategy for church growth. 
Okay, just, I, just wanna, I just need to say that for my own sanity. This is not like we didn't read this in a book and think, man, if we build this, the place could grow. Please understand, we're not trying to see how fast we can grow. We want to make sure we're faithful in the midst of the growth God's bringing. Okay, so, so this is not growth, strategy for growth. This is stewardship. This is ministering healthily to those that God has already brought and being able to be faithful with who he's given us. Right now, it's, uh, you talk to any of the volunteers, you walk down, uh, we, we need to do something just to be faithful stewards of what God's given us, and of, well, let me say, of who God's given us. Um, secondly, I need to say this, this is not in any way de-throttling, that's not the right word, throttling. This is not in any way to throttle back on our vision to plant churches. We couldn't be any more pedal to the metal. By God's grace, we planted five churches last year in India. We have pastoral residents who we are incredibly excited about that are in the process of being equipped to plant. We are going to continue that path as aggressively as, and prudently as the Lord leads. That, that's, that, this is not a throttle back on this to push forward on a children's wing. We just believe we need to push forward on children's wing as we continue to grow those men and plant them as soon as they're ready in the Lord's timing. And we think in our long-term vision of being a church planting church, this will only strengthen us to do that from a very strong base and a strong position for the next 30 years as long as God has us here or till he returns. You with me? So we believe it fits right into our long-term vision and will strengthen that. Okay, I've said enough about this. Please come tonight and I'll talk more about how we want to make sure we're not just tending the vine and ignoring the trellis. We need folks on teams and we need to do something with our children's space. And that something is going to be a children's wing if you guys will affirm that and we'll move forward. Lots of details tonight. Let me close by reading to you something, uh, the words of Jesus. I think we let Jesus weigh in directly with his words to end our time. John 15. I mentioned that he is the vine, well indeed he's the vine. I just want you to hear these words as we close from using this metaphor. Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Isn't that great? He's the one doing the work. Listen, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse three, already you are clean because the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Our efforts will be futile unless they're in Christ, through Christ, divinely empowered by Christ. Watch this. I am the vine, you are the branches, verse five. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Look at me, Harvest. My prayer for us moving forward into this 2016, this new year, here it is, is that the gospel would reach its way into every nook and cranny of our lives and it would elicit in us a great response and that our response would be one of not ever growing weary in the, the vine work of this church, the work Jesus is doing that we get to play a part in and that we would be faithful stewards of the trellis. Amen? Father, will you help us? Your Holy Spirit is the helper. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to help us think through these things, uh, to be wise, to be prudent, and also to be convicted. God, convict us of, of how to be obedient. Convict us of our tendency to prone towards passivity when it comes to the kingdom of God's advancement. Lord, you were not passive at the incarnation. You were not passive 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. You weren't passive at the crucifixion, and there was nothing passive about the resurrection. And so God, abide in us. Let us abide in you. Let there be nothing passive about our efforts to be a part of the vine growth, the Jesus movement, the gospel going forth at harvest. We are so grateful to be a part of that process. And Lord, let us be wise in how we tend to the vine and tend to the trellis. Give us wisdom. God, thank you for the gospel. May we be stirred afresh in our affection for you this morning in light of it. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.